This Augusta Golf Show podcast is brought to you by Audi Augusta, online at AudiAugusta.com. Well, I am happy to say Roger Maltby is back walking the fairways for NBC's golf coverage. Arnold Palmer this weekend covering the players next week. It is a pleasure to welcome Roger Maltby to the Augusta Golf Show for the very first time. How are you, Roger? I am terrific, John. Thank you very much. Man, thank you for saying yes to this. I have wanted to do this so for such a long time. Thanks for saying yes. Oh, my pleasure. My um, pleasure. Um, how did the how did the television gig start? Oh wow! Uh, it really started was born out of uh, a couple of shoulder operations that I had in the late 80s on my left shoulder and NBC had contacted a number of players uh, to do an audition at Kapalua in Hawaii. Uh, Then a number of people had tried it uh, and a few weeks later they called and offered me a job. Uh, This would have been 88 Mm. and uh, I said no. Uh, I mean, it, it just the offer wasn't much money. It would require me to really kind of quit playing by the number of events they had, and it just didn't fit for me. So uh, at the end of 1990, I'd had a second operation. It was called again, and this time NBC had the technology of radio frequency cameras. Now, if you remember the old Bob Hope tournament. Sure. Uh, was five rounds mm-hmm. over four different courses. So this was back in the day before cable and all that kind of television. So uh, what would happen on Saturday is all the celebrities would end up at what they would call the host course, but the leader of the event could be on another golf course. And they would have had no way to really cover that person. So they said, would you do it? do this and i said well i will with the caveat i'll give it a shot but i want to be able to do the Ryder cup in 1991 later that year uh, at kiowa the <laughs> war at the shore yep and they agreed so i i did that and i had no thought of a tv career really i was doing these two events and come sunday singles i'm following the david faherty Payne stewart match and faherty is drumming Payne Stewart. Mm-hmm. And a few groups up ahead was Mark Kalkovecchia playing Colin Montgomery. And if we go back into the history, uh, uh, it was a highly contentious Ryder Cup. Kalkovecchia was four up with four holes to play, lost all four holes, hit a couple of shanks. I mean, he just kind of melted down. And he thought, and it looked like it could well be that he cost the U.S. the Ryder Cup. At any rate, executive producer of NBC Sports at the time was a fellow named Terry O'Neill. And uh, he was in the production truck, got in my ear, in my headset, and said, Roger, leave your match. It's not very exciting. Go find Mark Kalkovecchia and interview him. (laughs) I did as I was told. I found Mark Kalkovecchia, and he was in uh, the USA Network trailer in the TV compound with his instructor and mine, Peter Costas. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was in no shape to talk. None whatsoever. Uh, he was pretty hysterical. He'd had enough. 
You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, I'm still a player. So I wandered over to our production truck, opened the door, Terry O'Neill standing in the door, and he says, uh, I told you to find Cal Kavecki. I said I found him, but I can't. he can't talk. Uh, you know, there's just no way. And he said, stay with him, he'll talk. And I said, no, believe me. And I don't know what a nervous breakdown is, but I know this man had had enough, okay? And so I looked at Terry O'Neill and I said, I got a better idea. Why don't you stay with him and you talk to him because I'm not doing it. Uh, because I still had to go. I mean, I was, a, I was a peer of these guys. I had to be in the locker room with them and play with them. And that's what I was. I was a player, not a TV person. And uh, I just wasn't going to do it. Well, oddly enough, you know, you, you figure, well, there goes any thought of doing any of that. And uh, three weeks later, they called and offered me a job. And this time it worked out. So I, I signed with them in uh, 92, starting in 92. And uh, this is my 31st year. Yeah. Go figure. Go figure. Yeah. What, what's the best thing about what you do? Gosh, you know, uh, when I first started doing it, John, I thought, you know, I'm really going to miss playing as much. But my shoulder was such that I I couldn't play or practice as much as I did prior. And uh, uh, I was worried that I was really going to miss playing golf all the time. And what I came to find out is doing live television. I'm talking live television. Uh, some of the very same things are involved. One, you've got to be ready when it's your turn, when it's your call. Uh, You're going to make mistakes, and you better get over them in a hurry, just like playing. And uh, when you do it right, when the words spill from your mouth and make sense, and you think you've covered what happened uh, properly, you know, you get kind of the same satisfaction hitting one flush. So those things are great. The other thing is great is I'm such a huge fan of golf. I love golf so much. And I admire the level at which these guys play today and and when I played. I mean, but to watch them, to see the shots struck, to watch the flight of the ball in the air, the risks and and the gambles that they take and the aggressive kind of play, uh, it just – it's exciting to me, and I, I love it yet. I love it to this day. We're talking with Roger Maltby here on the Augusta Golf Show. It ain't easy to win out there. You won five times. Uh, you were a good player. Uh, do you do you take pride in that? Well, you know, uh, yes and no. It's uh, uh, You wonder when it's all said and done, was I an overachiever or an underachiever? <laughs> uh, should I have won more? Uh, there are times I would say, yeah, I feel like I should have. Are there times that I feel like I was pretty doggone lucky to win five? Yeah, those times too. Uh, I was, uh, as a young man, uh, played on our local high school golf team. And uh, there was a fellow two years older than I by the name of Forrest Fesler, Yep, who was a terrific player. And certainly as a young man, uh, I mean, he was a wonder kind. And uh, uh, he beat me like a drum. He beat me every day. He was two years old. He was a junior when I was a freshman, senior when I was a sophomore. And I guess you have to account for that some. But 
he beat me every day, every day. And uh, I just, luckily, in whatever my personality, you know, complex is, uh, it just made me try harder. I just tried too hard to beat him. And he made me a better player, is what happened. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I was a good player. Could I have done more? Eh, maybe. Yep. You know, there are some things that I I regret a little bit at this stage. But, uh, uh, you know, I've got to be happy with five. That's yeah, what but, it is. But, 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 Roger, winning more, winning less, isn't that every round of golf any of us play? It could have been better. Well, sure. Could have been better. Sure. But I always sure. forget about the 30-footer I drained. <laughs> that is the nature of golfers, isn't yeah. it? Uh, yeah, you know, and the one that would stick out to me is uh, the Masters in 87. You know, I had to lead with nine to go, and, and uh, had I shot 36 on the back nine, I would have won the Masters. Instead of shot two over and uh, missed by a shot at the playoff. And that's the Masters that Larry Mize chipped in on Greg Norman. That's correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and Seve was in that playoff, too. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You, um, you mentioned Peter Costas. You and, mm-hmm. Peter, you and Peter have had a front row seat for the last 25 years to Tiger. Uh, tell, me, tell me to this day, one shot Tiger pulled off, that you to this day still can't believe he did. Excuse me. Oh, gosh. Uh, there are so many. Um, the one that would would kind of stick out to me, and and uh, you know, if uh, if I had a like a Gary Coke better than most moment, mm-hmm. uh, it would be the 2000 U.S. Open uh, Pebble Beach, which he won, he won by 15 shots, uh, and it was in Friday's second round. Uh, that he drove the ball on the par five sixth. And the, the drive is kind of a downhill drive with still water cove, the ocean on the right, bonkers on the left. Then there's a severe cliff that you have to hit up and across a blind shot to get on top or knock it on the green in two. And he drove it in the right rough, and we had seen a bunch of players do that. And literally the rough was such that these players, instead of taking on the cliff, and he's looking at a sheer wall of rock, instead of taking on that cliff and trying to get it on top, said, well, there's just too big a downside to it, so I'm going to wedge it out here to the left and then play the third long blind shot up over the hill. Well, Tiger takes out, a uh, we found later, a seven iron, and I, I mean, he laid waste to this grass. And the ball came flying up over the cliff and ran it up onto the edge of the green. And I said, it's just not a fair fight. Yeah. And that was really, I think, encapsulated uh, uh, his abilities as opposed to the rest of the players. If Tiger had it, it was over. You know, if he if he was in stride, it was pretty much game over. And watching a guy like that hit a shot, and, you know, how many people in the world could possibly hit that shot and watch him do it and pull it off, those are the kinds of things that make the hair and arm stand up. Did it, did it give you pause whenever you saw him in another situation where you thought it was impossible? 
Well, you you learned pretty quick that it, it, given he had a swing at it, you better not call it impossible. Huh. He'd make you look foolish. You know, I mean, from short game shots to, you know, uh, hooking or slicing, a, whatever. We had one in Mexico City in the World Golf Championship down there. We hit in the bunker in the ninth hole. He only had about 135 yards. I've never seen a ball curve that much and and put it on the green and landed on the green and spun about 20 feet right because it was spinning so hard. You know, those kinds of things he could do um, in, well, you know, the way I look at it, John, is, is Jack Nicklaus is the greatest golfer of all time because of his record. Look at the numbers. He's it. But I played with Jack when he was in his mid-30s. And I can tell you this, he couldn't play golf like Tiger could play golf. Tiger had more weapons. Now, you know, Tiger's the greatest golfer I've ever seen. That's all I could say. Is he, uh, all three questions, is he the best ball striker, best short game, and best putter? Well, you can probably list all of them. You know, it's, it's... I did an interview with Jack once. Uh, this was at Saucon Valley years ago, the senior U.S. Open, and Tiger had just won the U.S. Open by 15 shots at Pebble Beach, and then he won the Open Championship, I think, by eight or something like that. And so I did this interview with Jack, and uh, Jack went through, you know, he says, oh, yeah, we were both the longest, most effective drivers of our time, and he went through the aspects of the game. But he got down to the bottom line. He says, the biggest difference between Tiger and I, he says, is I only wanted to win by one. <laughs> okay? And and that was kind of Jack would size up a golf course, and he was uncanny at the ability of saying, this score will win, and set about playing four days of golf to shoot that score. You know, Tiger wanted to run the other players into the ground, off the golf course, leave them in the dust, and win by as many as he could win by. So there were different players in that regard. Um, I, a couple of questions before I let you go. It is it is uh, Players Week next week, Arnold Palmer this week. You've seen that Players Tournament grow to the Tourist Showcase event. How much has the golf course matured through those years? Oh, amazingly so. Amazingly so. Uh, uh, The golf course, certainly its design early on uh, was in many ways pretty shocking to the players. Mm -hmm. Pretty pretty drastic in a lot of areas, and uh, especially around the greens and so on and so forth. And the greens were designed to be putted at a certain pace. Uh, they were so dramatic and undulating in spots that you could not get the green speed up higher. You'd never get a ball to come to rest. And so some of those slopes, while not altered drastically, have been altered to the point that green speeds could increase and the golf course be playable. Uh, Another thing they had done uh, is... Off the fairway. I mean, you got to remember, this thing was built out of a swamp. And there were many players saying, wow, they messed up a perfectly good swamp when they put this in here. 
<laughs> but they've gone through and they've they've you know taken all the underbrush and whatnot out of the trees. It's like a big park now. It's just beautiful, you know. And and now, you know, it's the kind of golf course that really does test every aspect of a player's game. And you know, you got to drive it straight. You got to get great irons. You got to great short game. Got to putt. You got to you got to do it all. And uh, uh, it's just. You know, if you want to say short of the majors or whatever, uh, the probably most important golf tournament in the world. And it's just a wonderful test of the game. Before I let you go, it's Arnold Palmer, yeah. Arnold Palmer weekend, Arnold Palmer Invitational. Tell me a great, we all have many of them. Tell me a great Arnold Palmer story. Well, I can tell you one as it relates to me, and I've shared it uh, many times in different forms, but uh, I my parents would always take me. I grew up about 70 miles from Pebble Beach. And my parents would take me every year to go down and watch the Bing Crosby tournament. So I'm about 10, 11 years old. And we come walking down. For those that haven't been there, you, you, you come down a hill, and there's this little arched sort of uh, uh, entrance area. And... You look down on the first tee, and it was one of those foggy, gray, you know, Carmel Pebble Beach mornings, and like a like a beacon of light was on Arnold Palmer standing on the first tee. And, you know, he had the alpaca sweater with the bell sleeves, the whole, I mean, it was unbelievable. It was like a, like a movie set. So we got to following him, and he played the first hole. And, of course, as always, massive crowds following Arnold. And I got in behind the second tee and lost in the shuffle from my parents. I scooted away. And so I'm looking very nervous. And there was a backup, number two. Uh, it was a par five. And uh, so Arnold had to wait in the tee. And he, he kind of saw me and he said, are you okay? And, you know, I said, I you know, can't find my parents. And uh, after he teed off, he said, come with me. And I walked up on the tee, and he had me walk down with him. He says, I'll see you with me. <laughs> and, of course, we went about, well, 10 yards or so, and you hear the blood-curdling scream of your mother, Roger! <laughs> so uh, it's safe to say from, from that moment on, Arnold Palmer was uh, my hero. We miss him. We miss him yet. He was... Uh, the heartbeat of golf, and uh, I pulled like crazy for him every week. He was my guy. Roger, I have wanted to do this for such a long time. Thank you for saying yes to this. I deeply appreciate it. Please promise me you'll come back. Oh, you got a deal, Joe.